one time. And he was able to say, after it all, it's finished. The blood of Jesus still washes away sins. And I'm so thankful my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If you want the ushers to come receive your time, your offering tonight, you sure would go home with it. Amen. As you give your time and offering up to the Lord, there might be meat in His house. And that's what the Scripture teaches us. Look at Exodus chapter 18. Exodus chapter 18. Let me get just, just a few verses there in verse 13, with verse 13. The Bible says, And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses sat to, to judge the people. People stood by Moses from the morning to the evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did to the people, he said, What is this thing that thou doest to why sittest thou thyself alone, that all the people stand by thee from morning unto evening? Moses said unto his father-in-law, Because the people come unto me to inquire of God. When they have a matter, they come unto me, and I judge between one and another, and I do make them know the statutes of God and his laws. And I want to teach again tonight in the same series what's Next, what's next? Deserting the will of God in your life. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing for the word of the Lord. So far, over the past couple of weeks or so, and, and I appreciate you coming back after a couple of weeks or so, uh, we've talked about the essentiality of hearing the voice of God. We've got to be able to hear the voice of God in for ourselves. We live in a world that makes all kinds of noise. All kinds of voices cry out to you every day that you live. All kinds of distractions exist in this world to keep you from hearing the voice of God. Because if you hear the voice of God, then you have the opportunity to obey it. And if you obey it, then you have salvation. Amen. There's one of you happy about that. If you obey the word of the Lord, you have salvation. You have hope in heaven. You have hope in that life that is to come that the saints was telling us about just a few minutes ago. You must hear the voice of God. And so, how do we do that? Well, we do that through our relationship with God. You, you learn His voice by being in relationship with Him, which means, first and foremost, you've got to pray. You've got to pray. Prayer, I know sometimes it might sound fanciful. I know it might, might sound highly spiritually sophisticated, but prayer is talking to God and listening to God. It is a conversation with the Lord. And so you, you build your relationship with God by by prayer, you need a daily prayer life. A daily prayer life. And the prophet Daniel was willing to stake his life on the fact that he needed a three times a daily prayer life. And I remember years ago seeing that in the scripture in, in, in one particular way for the first time. You know, it, it wasn't that the command was given that they had to forsake their gods. The command was not given that they could never worship their God again. The command was given for one month. You can't pray to anybody but the king. And Daniel said, it, it ain't worth it. Was, I'll just give my life before I'll make a choice to not pray every day like I always have. Because Daniel realized what you and I need to realize is that we must have the voice of God in our life. We've got to have a prayer life. And it's an important principle that, that God will talk to you. He will speak to you in a way that you understand. In a way that you understand. We also, we learn the, the voice of God. We learn to hear what He wants for us from His Word. Because, first and foremost, the voice of God will 
never saying anything to you that is in conflict with the Word of God. He and the Word are one and the same. They are inseparable. You can't describe them in any way that's not one and not the out of the will of God. You, God will never speak anything to you that does not line up with His Word. I don't care how bad you want. I don't care how much money it is. I don't care how pretty they are. I don't care how good possibilities might look in this world down here. If it doesn't line up with the Scripture, God didn't say it. It's somebody, it's something else saying it to you because he'll never do it. And so it drives the, the other principle that we learned last week that the only way you're going to know that, the only way you're going to be able to make sure that those voices you hear in your head, that that, that, that is the voice of God, not the voice of yourself or, or this world or something else, is that you've got to know what's in the Scripture. You've got to be committed to studying the Word of God. It's not just this casual thing that we accidentally fall into because Mama said we had to twice a week. It's got to become as much a part of our life as prayer. And I will tell you from experience, if you will pray, prayer will make you want to get in the Word. If you will get in the Word, it will make you want to pray. It's a vicious cycle. Both of them are essential to hearing the voice of God. But tonight we move on because there's something else that we haven't touched on yet. There's something there in the scriptures that we love so very much that, that we haven't gotten to. You see, as you begin in scripture, you get out of the Garden of Eden. We kind of start there. because We always seem to start there. And then we, we roll into to the patriarchs. You know, there's, there's Noah, the flood, and then we immediately get to the patriarchs, we get to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And you see instances in their life that God spoke directly to them. You see visions and dreams and hearing his voice and, and all these things taking place where God spoke himself to the patriarchs of old in a way that they understood. But when you get past them, it doesn't take a very long time in Scripture to get past them, uh, pretty much just the end of that first book, you will get to the next kind of central character that you find in Scripture for a while, which is Moses. You get to the ending of the book of Genesis and the beginning of the book of Exodus. You get to Moses and to the nation of Israel. You see that God is, is kind of turning the way that he deals with them instead of dealing with all of them at one time and instead of dealing with just one family at one time. Now he is building a nation that belongs to him. And from that point forward, you most often see a recurring common denominator for those of you kids who thought that was over the year. There is a common denominator, and we see it in these verses that I read just a few moments ago. We read about Moses, and, and they, they're now out of Egypt. They've been delivered by God, and, and they're kind of on their way to the promised land before they manage to mess things up and a whole generation has to not go into the promised land. And so as he comes out of Egypt, when Moses had, had been in Midian for a long time, for 40 years, because he had run away from Pharaoh, he had married when he was there, and he also began to have children. And when he went into Egypt, he, he sent his wife back home. Now, I don't really understand why he did all of that. You men and women can insert whatever you want to. And I'm sure there's lots of Jewish material that would say why he did that. But, but the scripture really doesn't open that up. It just says he, he sent her back home. He, he sent her back to her father's house. And then when they got out of Egypt, dad-in-law shows back up and says, I've talked to your wife. I don't know what that means either. You know, maybe he realized once you marry daughters off, they don't come back. But um, there was a friend of mine at work one time told me, there was another friend of his who was marrying somebody. He said, it's always a good day when you marry I think he had rather extensive ones. I don't feel the same way. But, uh, I think he was pretty happy to get on the payroll at that particular time in his life. Amen. So, so father-in-law, Jethro, uh, brings, brings Zipporah, brings Moses' wife back to him, and, and she is there with him, and he is there with him. And of course, they're just kind of hanging out, and just there to be in fellowship with Moses and God's people. And all of a sudden, he, he sees Moses kind of go to work one day. You know, he, he goes in and, 
and, and Jethro is kind of sitting, standing back, watching this. And then when he gets home, maybe it's dinner time, they're sitting around the fire, I don't know. You know, Jethro looks at Moses and basically says, What in the world were you doing today? Well, what was that all about? And Moses began to explain what he was doing. He said, People come to me when they need an answer from God. They come to me when they, they want to know how you know, to, 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 to please God. They want to know what God has to say about the matter. And I inquire of God. And, and then I tell them what they ought to do. And I teach them God's ways. And so, when the Jews, even today, when they speak of Moses, or Moshe as they pronounce it, uh, they always call him Moshe Rabbeinu. Why are they call it that? Well, for me, you might recognize himself an awful lot like Rabbi, and that's exactly what it is. It's Moses, our, our Rabbi, or Moses, our teacher. That, that is kind of the suffix that they, they add every time they say it. They'll say Abraham, our father. They'll say Sarah, our mother. And then they will say Moses, our teacher. And why is that? Because now, now think about what Moses did. He did exactly what we read there in Scripture. He taught them the ways of God. He, he taught them how to live for God, how to serve Him, and how to be obedient to the Word of God. But, but I want you to think about this for a second. So they, they call him Moses, our teacher. Think about what he's doing. Now we know that Moses, we talked about on Pentecost Sunday, Moses went on top of the mountain, and God gave Moses his laws. Moses didn't make this stuff up. He didn't sit down and have a you know, strategic planning session with the smartest guys he knew and decided this is the best way to lead the nation from here to there. These were God's laws. They were God's laws. It was his word. The Bible tells us that God wrote them with his own finger. Moses was, he was the secretary. I mean, he, he, at this point, he, he wasn't writing these laws himself. He was receiving these laws from God with the command to go back and Here's what you need to teach them. Here's what you need to show them to do. And so, why does Moses play such a prominent role in Scripture? If it wasn't really, I know it's called the law of Moses, but if it really is the law of God, if it really is His Word, it's not Moses. He's just the messenger. He's just the deliverer. He's, he's just the guy standing up and preaching about it. Why is he... So revered. Why is he so respected? Now, I know he was a meek man. I know God spoke to him face to face. I'm not trying to take away from that at all. But why is he revered as their teacher? I mean, isn't he just a messenger? Isn't he just a little man here between them and God? Why go to Moses? Why go through him when you can pray? Why go through Moses? Why go through anybody for that matter? If you can read the Word of God for yourself. God wrote His Word in the language that they spoke. They can look at the tables of stone and see what it said. They can read, Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not kill. They can read those words. That was Thou shalt, it was Hebrew instead of Old English, but you get the point. They can read exactly what God said. Not only that, but the scripture tells us that they heard his voice. That when God spoke it from heaven, they heard it with their own ears. So, why is Moses so important? Why does he play such, such a prominent role? If, if you jump just a couple of chapters forward in Exodus chapter 20, that this is all kind of in the same short period of time. Exodus chapter 20, verse 18 says, The people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they were moved that stood afar off. This is when God came down on top of Mount Sinai. They saw thunder and lightning and the ground shook. And it, it was the most spectacular thing they'd ever seen in their whole life. This coming from the people that had seen the ten plagues of Egypt and the Reed Sea Party. They, it was so much so, I mean, the Bible says in another place that even Moses quaked when he walked up into the mountain. But everybody else besides Moses, they weren't going up there. The Bible says they stood afar off. And they said unto Moses, 
Speak thou unto us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. Now Moses at this point could have just said, okay, it would probably better for you anyway, because I know that you're living, and I live That's not what he said. He said, fear not, for God has come to prove you, that and that his fear may be before your faces, that you sin not. Moses said, you don't need to be afraid of this. God wants you to hear his God wants to speak to you directly. He had commanded Moses before he went into Egypt. He said, when I get them out, and when you bring them out of Egypt, you bring them all back to this mountain. Moses was doing exactly what he'd been told to do. And now all of God's people are there at the mountain, and God is ready to speak to them, but they're pushing back on them. They're pushing back and saying, uh, I don't want to get that close to God. Moses said, "This is God wants you. He wants you to hear His voice. He wants to prove you. He wants you to, to have that, that relationship with Him. And the people stood afar off. They didn't change their mind. They stood afar off, and Moses drew near into the thick darkness where God was. So in a day, in a moment... Moses became a mediator for them. There are those that look at Moses as a type of Christ as well, because he was, he was a mediator. He was something that had to, to fill in the gap. He had to build a bridge between God and God's people because they weren't willing to go there. They weren't willing to, to be that close to him. And so he became a mediator. He became the middleman. And more than one time, this saved their skin. Remember that the next time we get back on fasting. You know, there, there was more than once that only because of Moses did God not hit the reset button and start over with his people. Now, this is something that's really important to remember tonight. God wants to talk to you directly. He wants that. We are not a church that believes that you can't hear from God. There was a time later in Scripture, it's not really part of much of the message tonight, but there were times that they, they came to Moses and said, doesn't God talk to all of us? Aren't we all God's people? Can't God talk to all of us? And Moses did not dispute that. Moses had no problem with God speaking to them. Moses had no problem with there being prophecy taking place in the camp. He wanted that to be the case. The problem came with how he handled it and the fact that God had ordained Moses to be in that place and, and they, they had other moves behind what they were doing. God wants to talk to you directly and he wants you to know and he wants you to hear his voice. But that does not mean that you do not need a man of God in your life. That, that's really the message tonight. They're not done with all of your horses, but you need a man of God in your life. You need somebody to stand in that position in your life. Now, now think back to this whole, this whole event with Jethro and with Moses. Why was Moses doing what he was doing? Why, why did he start handling this the way that he handled it? I mean, was it a power thing? Well, no, because the Bible says that he was the meekest man that's ever been. So that wasn't it. He wasn't power hungry. I mean, there's there's a time or two that Moses is like, God, why did you do this to me? Why, why did you put the weight of all these people on me? That's the, it wasn't because he was trying to lower himself over them. It was because he said it not there in the words. He said it's because they came to him. They knew, they recognized God talks to Moses. God talked to Moses in Midian. God talked to Moses in Egypt. And God delivered them through Moses from Egypt. They knew that God spoke to Moses and they knew that God listened to Moses. And so when they wanted to know what to do, when they weren't sure about how to handle something and they wanted to know what the will of God was, they came to him. 
they came to him. I, uh, I heard one pastor say in this, and I was listening to him once. He said, just because you put something on Facebook does not mean I know about it. If you want me to pray for you, you need to call me and tell me to pray for you. Don't, don't expect me to keep up with everybody's social media feed and know that everybody was sick. The reason this all began to happen was because they came to him for him to tell them how to apply God's laws. How does what God thinks and what God feels and how God sees this, how does it apply to my situation? Now, don't you have them? Don't you have God's laws? I mean, most of us probably got half a dozen of these in our house. We've got the scripture all around us. You, you have the law of God. You have his word. Does it not tell you what thou shalt not do? But we can't plead ignorance when we lie. It's right there in black and white. All you got to do is read it. We have the word of God to tell us what not to do and what to do. Now, I know some people don't have that because they don't read it, but but if, if you got last week's message and, and you study the scripture and if you live for the word of God, then you know what the Bible says. You know what words are there. You know what the scripture says. So why do you need any more than that? Why do you need more than that? I mean, I remember I took a, an accounting class once when I was in college and, and he, me and the professor just he didn't click. Not personality-wise, he was a nice enough guy, but the way he talked was not the way my brain functioned. And so it didn't matter how much he talked. It didn't matter how many notes I took. We, I just, I didn't get it. And so I made up my mind, I'm just going to read the textbook. I'm going to read the textbook. I'm going to study the textbook. And I'm going to do my homework. And I made a day pretty much not listening to it. Now, I'm not saying that to brag. I'm just saying he and I didn't really work out all that well from a learning standpoint. So I just got in the book. And the book taught me how I needed to do those particular accounting things. So you and I have the Word of God. We have every single thing that it says. So why do we need more than that? Why do we need more than thou shalt not? Why do we need more than just the Gideons? To sit by them to the four quarters of the earth. Moses spent 40 days on that mountain with God. And that was just one of the times he went. 40 days with God. And when he came down from the top of that mountain, he had two tables of stone that had ten commandments on them. 40 days. I'm not the best at memorization, but I'm pretty sure in a week, if that's all I was doing every waking moment of the day, I, I'd get a memorized. I, I, I'd be able to quote the ten commandments pretty quickly, and that's the only thing that I had to do. So, what in the world was Moses doing up there? Moses was in communion with God. Well, we don't know everything that Moses heard the voice of God say. We don't know everything that Moses said to God himself. But we know that there's more than just the Ten Commandments. We know that there were a lot of laws that Moses wrote down for them. There were a lot of things that Moses explained to them that God had given him. Every intricate detail of how the tabernacle was to be built. The very pattern of the tabernacle in the heavens was given to Moses while he was on top of that mountain. Moses was necessary for them to be able to tell them how to apply the word of God in their life. We read scripture at times and you might ask yourself the question, what does this say to me? What does this mean to me? How am I to obey these words? What does God expect me to do every day in my life? What about the things that we don't seem to, to be able to find in scripture the thing that answers the problem we're facing? Have I ever been there before? I mean, I've faced things before that uh, I know I've read all the scriptures, but I've wondered, God, which one do I need to be looking at right now? Which one do I need to, to understand applies to me? Because 
We need to get that right. I mean, some scriptures say rejoice. Some scriptures say mourn. Some scriptures say you're going to have victory. Some say you're in trouble. But God, what does the word say for me in my situation? That's what Moses was doing. When they would come to him, they, Moses, this is what's going on. This is what's going on between me and my wife. This is what's going on in my family. I have this, this thing occur between me and my brother, me and my uncle, whatever it may be. What do we do? Now, I understand that, that some of this was due to the fact that they didn't have all the laws of God written out yet. But when they got them written down, Moses didn't just move off the scene. He was still their leader. He was still their teacher. And you see that throughout all the scriptures that, that still have Moses on them before he, he moved off the scene of scripture. You see that there was time and time again that Moses was standing there to tell them, this is what God is saying. This is what God wants us do. Now I want you to see something else, kind of back in that same place, uh, Exodus chapter 18. Verse 17 says, Moses' father-in-law said unto him, the thing that thou doest is not good. How many guys want to hear that from the father? The thing that thou doest is not good. Thou wilt surely wear away both thou and this people that is with thee, for the thing is too heavy for thee. Thou art not able to perform it thyself alone. Hearken now unto my voice, I will give thee counsel, and God shall be with thee. Be thou for the people to Godward, that thou mayest bring the causes unto God. Thou shalt teach them ordinances and laws, and shalt show them the way wherein they must walk, and the work that they must do. Moreover, thou shalt provide out of the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hated covetousness, and place such over them will be rulers of thousands, and rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. And let them judge the people at all seasons. And it shall be that every great matter they shall bring unto thee, but every small matter they shall judge. So shall it be easier for thyself, and they shall bear the burden with thee. If thou shalt do this thing, and God command thee so, then thou shalt be able to endure, and all these people shall go also to their place in peace. So Moses hearkened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. And he says, if, if God's all right with this, this is what you need to do. And so obviously God was all right with it. This is what Moses did. And Moses chose able men out of all these rulers, making hands over the people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. And they judged the people at all seasons. The hard cases they brought to Moses but every small matter they judged themselves. Now, what is it that we learn from this? It's a Bible study, right? What is it that we learn from these scriptures? Why did Jethro say this thing is not good? Is, is teaching the law of God something that's not good? Well, certainly not. Not at all. So what is it that was not good? Well, Jethro explained. He said, it's the fact that you're doing this all by yourself. It's not going to work. Why is that all bad? It is not good for your leader to decide everything in your life. It is not good for the leader to decide everything for everybody all the time because he wears out, you wear out. And so, therefore, it is not good. Some things don't require the leader. You don't need a lot of deep spiritual discernment to know that it's wrong to lie. The scripture says, don't lie. You don't need a, a, a two-hour Bible study to understand that you ought not commit adultery. That's what the scripture says. Now, I understand people with flesh and blood. I'm not saying God will struggle with things. But you know what the answer is. You know that it is against the law of God. Some things don't require the leader because they're simply not all that important. You know, I, you know, I can personally make this reference from time to time, but it really don't matter a whole lot whether you like their leader or not. It just, it just don't. It, it's a hamburger, is a hamburger. Either one of those things are going to determine your eternal destination. They're just 
They're just the decisions that you make every day in life, whether you buy blue shoes or black shoes. It really don't matter a whole lot. Whether you like Nike or Adidas, whether you drive a Buick or a Ford or a Cadillac or a Toyota, you know, it, it's really that big a deal. It's not the end of the world, you know, even if you don't get that right. You know, we might have a poor repair cost in your car, but, you know, they're all going to break and so forth, right? Some things don't require your leader for you to be able to decide. How else are you ever going to learn the voice of God if everything that ever comes up, you go to the leader for it? I don't know where you might think I'm going with this, and you might be wrong. It's wrong for a bit. If you go to your leader with everything, how are you ever going to learn the voice of God? You know, we, we see this, you know, you that are parents, not me, you, you know people, because you don't have no yet. But parents that have had children, you realize that at some point in their life, you have to answer fewer questions. I mean, their whole life, everything they ever needed to know, they came to you, well, what did mama, what did dad? And you just told them the answer, because you wanted it done, and you wanted to take care of it, and they didn't know. But somewhere along the line, you have to look at them and say, well, what do you think you should? Well, think about it. Why do you want to think about it? Because you will always be around. And they have to develop the ability to think in the right way, apply the right principles that you have taught them to situations that they've not experienced yet. They have to learn how to, to do that themselves. You've got to learn to pray. You can't always run to the preacher. Now, if it's a dire emergency, call me at 2 o'clock in the morning. But if it ain't important, let me sleep. You, know, you, can't, you can't call the preacher every single time any decision in life comes up because you've got to get down on your knees and pray. You've got to open up that book and begin to read the pages of Scripture to ask God, God, what do you want me to see and what do you want me to hear? You've got to be able to take the principles that you learn in the house of God, in the Word of God, by spending time in prayer and apply it to other situations. There are two things that don't work. One is what we've already talked about, which is taking everything to your leader. Jethro said this. This ain't going to work. You're both going to wear out. The other thing that doesn't work is taking nothing to your leader. Taking nothing to your leader. You'll, you'll flash forward in Scripture when you get to the time period of the judges. And you will read that the Bible says, And every man did what was right in his own eyes. Because there was no leader. They had no king yet. The prophets weren't talking. So the only thing they had was, was some leader that would be raised up for some period of time to, to deliver them from their bondage, to deliver them from their enemies. And then as soon as that leader faded off the scene, everybody went back to do whatever they thought was right. Well, we know what happens when we do what we think. There's a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof ways of death. That, that's, that's all there is to it. If we don't take anything to our leader, then somewhere along the line, even if you're diligently seeking the voice of God, there's going to be times that your voice is talking, and you're going to think it's God, because it matches up with what you want to do. So, of course, if, you know, if you're spiritual, you want to do something that has to do with God, right? Oh, don't ever think. Don't ever think you've got the Holy Ghost long enough to start trusting your flesh someday. Because your flesh will get you the second you let your guard down. Unfortunately, too many people don't ever figure this out. And you have those that never learn anything for themselves because they take everything to their leader. And then you have those that take nothing to their leader. And they don't ever get the direction that they need. And then they wind up just falling into mess after mess after because some things were too heavy and they didn't know the answer. But they didn't seek the answer. You'll see other instances, even when Moses was there, of obviously where people didn't ask Moses, how should I deal with the situation? They dealt with it on their own and they brought out to themselves the judgment of God because of it. So, what did Moses do? What did Moses establish 
at the suggestion of his father-in-law, he delegated authority. He delegated leadership, and he involved others in the process of overseeing God's people. He involved other people in the process of overseeing God's sheep. So here's another problem that occurs. This happens in the church a lot as well. There are people that feel like the only person that, if they do need to listen to anybody, the only person that they ever need to listen to is the pastor, that, that one insane individual that is the only person that I have to listen to and nobody else has the ability to speak into my life. When the pastor has other leaders, has other people that he trusts to help lead the sheep. This is what we see right there on the pages of Scripture. It was not going to work for Moses to single-handedly adjudicate all of the issues and problems and cases that came up from a couple million people. Perhaps Jethro was just thinking, bring this girl back to me again. You're going to die if you don't stop doing this. Get your act together so you can keep her with you. It wasn't going to work. And so Moses allowed God to use other men as well. God to use other people to instruct those in their tribes and those amongst their people in the ways of God. Now, there were still going to be things that had to go to Moses. There were going to be things that these other men that had been put in these places did not know what to do. They still needed guidance. They still needed someone to lead them. And so they would know, hey, we need to go talk to Moses. And that's exactly what they would do. And so you see this problem in the church as well. There are those that, that will determine, well, there's nobody I'm supposed to listen to, nobody I'm supposed to pay attention to except the pastor. And then those people are either going to tell everything to the pastor or they're going to tell nothing to the pastor, wait for the pastor to show up and call them out for it. It doesn't work. It just doesn't work. And so it just winds up creating a mess. Now, before you think I'm just off on the field somewhere, I'm just bringing in some obscure Old Testament thing to say, you know, this is why we have different people in different positions in the church. But we get to the book of 1 Peter chapter 5. Now, 1 Peter chapter 5 is, is all about spiritual leadership. There's, there's a lot of lessons to be, to be learned here. I, I did some teaching on uh, five or six of them a couple years ago, so I, I could at least talk about it for a few weeks. I have to, but I'm going to give you all that tonight. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 1 The elders which are among you by exhort, who also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly. Not for filthy lucre, that's money, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. Now, the thing that I want to draw your attention to out of all those things that I just read to you is the second word. The elders. It's plural. It's a plural word. Peter was a leader. Peter was an apostle. Peter was the apostle to the Jews. He was the, the primary leader of the church based in Jerusalem in his day. And yet he is writing here and says there are elders among you. There are more than one person. There are many people that are there to feed the flock of God to take the oversight of the flock of God and to be an example of how to live for God. What is it, in all honesty, that you and I truly, desperately need to know at all times? What is this whole series about? What does God want me to do? What does God want me to do with my life? How does God want me to live? How do we learn that? By finding an example. 
I'm a 43-year-old man now, just a few days ago. If the Lord tarries another 20 years, and I'm a 63-year-old man, well, I still want to be living for God. I still want to be preaching truth. I want to see my children, my grandchildren serving God. I want to see souls being saved. So there's got to be people in my life that are 63 years old that have been down that road and they've been there, they've done that, they've got the t-shirts, they've done all those things, they've fought those battles, they've had those experiences, and I can look at them and make up in my mind, if I'll live that way, if I'll hold on that way, if I'll follow the example they've given to me, then I can make it too. We need examples to teach us how to live for God. Verse 4 says, and when the chief shepherd shall appear, because you know really there's ultimately one leader. The chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. So how do I know who to follow? Now maybe the easy answer is that you got a pastor. But besides that, because now, you know, when Jerry stand up there saying there's other people you need to be paying attention to, and other people you need to be listening to. How do I know who to follow? How do I know who to be listening to? Verse 5 says, Likewise ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. You see, young men and young ladies, if you want to know how you can still be serving God and live a godly life 20 years from now, then find somebody that's been living it for the past 20 years and make up in your mind there's going to be some things in their life I'm going to pattern myself after. Now, I understand we're all people, and we, can be, and we can make mistakes, and we can fail. But at the same time, the Scripture says, submit yourselves to the elder. Watch those that have already gone there, and have already walked through that, and are standing faithful in the church, and submit yourselves to them. Young men, if the old godly men of this church aren't doing it, you don't need to be doing it. Young ladies, if the older godly ladies in this church aren't doing it, you don't need to be doing it. Why? Because you may not even understand it yet. But they've already walked the road you're walking down. And they've already seen that. If I make that choice, and if I make that decision wrong, I'm going to end up where I've seen a lot of people end up. So just leave it behind. And submit yourselves to them. Why do we need this in our life? Do you always know the will of God? I don't always know what to do. I don't always know what to do. Especially if you've never encountered it. I already said, I, I know what the scriptures say. I'm not saying I've memorized them all. I, I certainly have. You know, I've forgotten a lot of things. It has to be refreshed every time I get back through those scriptures. But at the same time, there's been times that I've walked into situations in my life and I have prayed and I have fasted and I have searched the scriptures and I don't have the answer. And I've had to turn to some other men of God and say, what do I do? Even in pastoral ministry, there's times I've never dealt with this before. I need to go talk to some pastors that have. What do I do? How do I deal with this? So what do you look for in the spiritual leadership in your life? Well, for one, you've got the pastors, and that was easy. You know, God really didn't lay that up to us. Most of us. You know, we were here, and we have pastors. That's the way it works. You know, Brother... Um, Brother Butler, my wife's pastor, before she moved down here, he, he loved me up and say, you didn't put me in? You didn't take me out. I miss Brother Butler. So that, that part's easy, but, but what else do you need? What else do you 
knows what the Word of God says. Someone who knows what the Word of God says. Bishop Owen made the statement once, I think you heard another minister say this, that, that young preachers needed to study as much as they possibly could because until you know a whole lot more, you don't have a whole lot to say. If you don't know what's in the Bible, you better be awful careful preaching the Bible. You need to make sure you get in it for a while. You don't need to be following anybody that has no idea what's in that book because their way is not leading to heaven. You gotta have somebody that knows what God's word says, and then you gotta have somebody that knows what to do next. Go with me to the book of Joshua, chapter one. Joshua was the one that took Moses' place. He's the one that came behind him as Moses died, and they're at the edge of the promised land. It was time to go into Canaan. Joshua was the one that that God anointed, that God ordained to, to take God's people through. Verse 1 of Joshua chapter 1 says, Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, came to pass that the Lord spake to Joshua the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore rise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people into the land which I will give them, even to the children of Israel. Every place the sole of your foot shall tread upon that I have given to you, as I said unto Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even to the great river of the river Euphrates, all land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so will I be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Be strong and of good courage, for unto this people thou shalt thou divide for an inheritance of the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. This just sounds like a soldier's pet talk. Look at the next verse. Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law. Which Moses, my servant, commanded thee, turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. You've got to have somebody that knows the, that lives by the word of God. God established to Joshua what's going to give you the land is not your military strategy. It's not how well you can swing a sword. It's not how well you can train men. It's going to be how closely you obey my word. And if you'll obey my word, I'll take care of the enemy. I'll take care of the inheritance. I've come to tell you today, if we live by the word of God, if we can apply it as God wants us to, to every situation, God will take care of the enemy. God will take care of this world and we'll make it to heaven some sweet day. You need somebody that first knows the word of God. And then also we see in Joshua chapter 3, verse 1, Joshua rose early in the morning. They removed from Shittim and came to Jordan. He and all the children of Israel and lodged there before they passed over. It came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host. They commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests and Levites bearing it, then you shall remove from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it. About two thousand cubits by measure come not near unto it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way. You've not been here before. You don't know where you're going. You don't know what to do. So make sure that you can always see the ark of God. Make sure that you can always see those that have been charged with leading the way ahead of you. Because you don't know exactly what you ought to do. But if you'll follow them, if you'll stay close, to the man of God, to the word of God, to the ark of God, if you'll stay close to them, then you'll know the way you need to go. 
We need to look to those that know the way to go. Now, I'm not going to, I've learned the older that I get, I've learned to be very, very careful about what I think God can't work through. Now, I'm not going to tell you that somebody younger than me can't say something to me because that's not true. The scripture doesn't even back it up. But I'm also going to tell you when it comes to me trying to, to find someone to pattern myself after, for me to try to find someone to, to follow, for me to try to look to somebody to answer questions that I don't have answers to, I ain't looking for 12 year olds. I, I got to know they've been this way before. I don't consider myself as, as really going what I often do most of the time in pastoral situations, but, but if you've been pastor for six months, you're probably going to have to coach somebody else. Because I, I need somebody who's been through a couple of church problems and the church is still hanging around. I, I need to know that they know where they're going, that they've been here before. Why is that? First Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. I know I'm going there quickly. It says, This is the true saying. If a man desires the office of a bishop, that's an overseer, he desires a good work. The bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy, filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? So a man that lives right, a man that obeys the laws of God, but also look at this, not a novice. Not a novice. Lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Why did Paul tell Timothy, study to show thyself approved, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, to be able to write and divide the word of God. Why did he tell him that? He was a young man. He was going to have to get there. He was going to have to get the word in. He was going to have to pray. He was going to have to fast. He was going to have to seek the will and the mind of God. Because if you don't know nothing, you can't read God's people. And I'm not talking about knowing something from an intellect standpoint. I'm talking about knowing the will and the word of God. So how, how do we operate with spiritual leadership? All those scriptures get down to this application. How do we operate with them? First thing is this. Submit yourself. That's what the scripture says. Submit yourself to them. Now, why would I say this first before I bring up the question that you take to me? Because you have to decide to submit before you know the answer. Because if you agree, that's not submission. Submission only happens when you disagree. But you have let that person have veto power over your will. The pastor's got to have it. There are other people in your life that's got to have it. There's got to be other people in your life as well, in addition to, that can speak into your life and say, you don't need to go that way, sister. You don't need to walk that way, my brother. But you have to decide that ahead of time. Just why not everybody's cut out for that? So it's good to desire the office of a bishop, but then he lays out not everybody's going to fill this role. Because those that do fill this role are charged by God to lead God's people in the right way. We have to first choose to submit ourselves, and then we have to go to them. We have to go to them about the big and the important things in life. You don't have to go to them for all of the minuscule, you know, with Burger King or Wendy's more spiritual. You don't have to worry about that stuff. But the important things, you need to be talking with your spiritual leader. You need to make sure that that scripture, you felt like God spoke to you, that you rightly understood what it means before you go off and make that choice. You need to go to them with the important things. Now, now, don't just think about this in the context of spiritual things like serving God or backsliding. Now, of course, you should. 
think about those things. You should be talking to your pastor. You should be talking to your spiritual leadership. You're thinking about giving up on God and not letting the answer go. But how can you separate? How do you learn to separate all of these things in life? Now, people sometimes think it's awful easy. Well, that's just not spiritual, so I don't have to go talk to the pastor about it. But when you think about things like jobs and where you live and who you're going to marry, how can that not have spiritual implications? If God put you in this church and you decided you're going to move to California and go to that church, that might be the will of God. That might be where He's sending you. But don't you think you need to talk to your leadership about it? Before you take that job and transport you halfway around the world, away from where God lives you. Talk to them about the important things because all kinds of decisions affect our life dramatically. There are things that we decide at times that affect what we can do with our time, with our money, with our attention, with our focus, with our affections. If that's the case, how can it not be a spiritual thing? We need that wise counsel in our life for the important things. Here's number three, and here's the kicker. Wait for an answer. Seems obvious. I don't go over just a couple minutes, but hold on. Wait for an answer. What does that mean? I could not tell you the number of times I've had people come to me personally. Brother Jeremy, would you pray about this? Well, good. I appreciate you coming to me about it. I'm going to pray about it. Then what happens next? I'll find out a month from now that you've already made the decision and you've already gone and done the thing and you never even talked to me about it again. What good did it do me to pray about? What good did it do me to seek the mind of God when you were never going to wait for the answer that you were hoping that the Lord would give you through your spiritual leadership? That's not submitting. That's saying, I'm just going to let you know so that you can tell God, and if fireworks go off in heaven and hellfire and brimstone is going to come down, please let me know. But if you don't say anything else, well, I'm just going to go on and do it. That's not seeking counsel. That's just saying, please let me know if it's going to be disastrous. There will be times that God might tell me, might tell the pastor, go tell them. But I'm also going to tell you, you don't always do it that way. Because the truth is, if you really didn't want the answer, it's the purpose of God giving. Wait for the answer. And last but not least, realize this, my wife and God. Realize this, that God calls them to speak to you. Now, we're kind of, we're talking about a lot of different individuals that could be in your life. This is very, very specific to the spiritual leadership in your church, in this church. God calls the ministry in your church and God calls the fivefold ministry to preach and to teach to you. This is the problem that crops up sometimes in long time apostolics. We can all be prone to it. There's times we can sit down, we can hear the preacher preaching, and somewhere along the line we decide that it don't really sound like that. Not that we don't like it, not that we disagree with it. It's just not really hitting home for us. So let's face it, we kind of turn off. Well, that's really unsafe tonight, so we'll preach to you some other time. Or sometimes we just begin to take those voices for granted. Because they're the ones that are always there. So we just take them for granted. But if God put them here, and God gave them a message, and you're a part of the flock, for you. It's for you. I've heard too many preachers in my life make the statement to not know that it's true. There's a whole lot of problems. There's a whole lot of situations that would be dealt with without going to the pastor's office if we just took what came across the pulpit and accepted it and submitted to it and applied it to our life. There's going to be times, and I think almost all of you can testify to this, there's going to be times you intended on going to talk to the pastor. 
You intended on going and talking to somebody because you needed help. And when you sat on that pew that night, that message rang your bell. That message gave you exactly what you needed. Why does that happen? Because God put that person in your life. God put that person in this pulpit. And we need to realize how valuable it is to be in the house of God, to receive what comes across this holy desk, to take what God's word is, is speaking into our life and apply it. How do we know what to do next? There's going to be times God answers the prayer. There's going to be times God shows the team of his word. And there's going to be time and time again. It's going to come off the lips of the shepherd that God put in your life. Man, would you stand to your feet tonight? Let's lift up our hands. Let's close the service of worship and praise. These altars are open if you need to pray. If you want to get right with God, don't go home without being right with God. If you're having trouble with submitting your life to God in leadership, ask God to help you with it. If you've got problems you need answers for, ask God to give it to you tonight.